When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. And friends, you are in for a very special edition of FS Sports, as both Parker and I commiserate after both of our college football teams lost <laughs> yesterday. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. Um, it's been quite a morning after that because I've been dealing with some different uh, help-related and technology-related, uh, you know, you wait in line for like on the queue forever and this and the other, but it's okay. We're here recording. It's a Sunday. We've got... Football today, even if it's not as much football as we thought we were going to have about 48 hours ago. And uh, it's a Sunday morning. What else could be going on? How are you doing? I am slowly but surely moving into a new house. And that's not as fun as... Actually, it's about as much fun as it sounds. How about that? We actually just bought a new car yesterday, too. That was actually cool. The process took a little long, but the car is pretty cool. Let's go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into our gold stars and detentions. Mr. Ainsworth, how about you hit us? with our first gold star. So my first gold star goes to, I'm going to call it not zero dark 23 LeBron. So LeBron James has done this thing in the past where when like about a month out from the playoffs or a couple weeks out from the playoffs, he like shuts himself off of social media. What I've enjoyed about this playoffs is he did not shut himself off from the world. Didn't go zero dark 23 or whatever he was calling it. And we're getting like real authentic feelings out of LeBron from the bubble. So stuff like, you know, tweeting out at three o'clock in the morning, like, can't get this off my mind. Can't get ready to go for the next game. Already ready to like improve on XYZ. Like he's, he's talking to us through the social media like he normally does, but about much more important basketball than he normally does. And so it's been a cool insight into him. And it makes me kind of wish that like in those heat years or in those Cleveland years and they were playing the Warriors and those kind of things, if he had just not been unplugged what kind of insights we'd be getting into this guy yeah i'll go ahead and piggyback off of that gold star and i'm gonna gold star anthony davis because anthony davis folks were questioning how he would do in his first nba finals considering that his playoff success in the nba has been minimal because his opportunities in the playoffs have been minimal and now he's in the nba finals game one versus the heat he gets 34 uh, with Bam Adebayo and that level of defense, paying attention to him, 34-9-5 assists. Uh, game two, he drops 32-14. Bam obviously did not play in game two. But as a UK alum, 
and a fan of Anthony Davis. I've seen him be clutch because he won us a <laughs> national championship. So it's awesome to see him perform in the NBA Finals as well. So gold star to him. Uh, so my next gold star goes to a guy named a kid named Chris Nagger from uh, SMU. He put in a field goal to help win the Memphis game yesterday, mostly because, you know, as you pull up SMU kicker, all the articles that pull up are from all of the games last year they would have they lost because they did not have a good kicker. So SMU pulled through over the weekend over Memphis. We talked about them in our group of five games last week. SMU a year ago does not win that game because they did not have the kicking talent. They're like literally, like I Google SMU kicker to like make sure I had his name spelled correctly, and the first five articles are all how bad is SMU at kicking extra points. Let me say, you got to be real careful when you say the name Chris Nagar. I want to make sure I had it spelled correctly. <laughs> so uh, I'll go ahead and jump to a combo gold star detention just off the back of that gold star to SMU, gold star to Cincinnati. Gold Star to BYU. Those are a group of five teams that all won. And BYU is doing exactly what we said you're going to have to do if you're going to be a group of five team that makes the playoff in this crazy college football season. It is 2020. So now, unfortunately, detention to Memphis, detention to Central Florida, both of those teams lost. And so with those losses, their opportunity, even at a New Year's Six Bowl game, is probably gone at this point. One last Gold Star I'd throw in, again, NBA Finals related, but I'd go to uh, Rajon Rondo in his sneakers, another UK alum, but Rajon Rondo has been very intentional in his, in his sneaker choices. He's been wearing like colorways that Kobe Bryant himself would have had, but that no one else would have had access to, which makes me wonder how on earth he's got them. He wore in game two the pair of Iverson question sneakers that Kobe wore in Kobe Bryant's sneaker free agency year with you know, yellow and purple toes. Anyway, they're just, for a sneaker guy like myself, it's something I noticed, and so I, I appreciate the reverence he's showing to Kobe Bryant with his shoes. So shout out to Rajon Rondo, even if I don't actually, I'm not a big Rondo guy, but so shout out on sneakers. I need to get a pair of those questions because those are dope. Um, my last gold star just goes to Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. I am curious as to your take real quick on it, Parker, because I think this could work. I think that Doc is the type of coach that can get the most out of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons together. He's a smart coach. I like him going back to the Eastern Conference. There's just a lot that I like with this particular move. So what's your quick take on it in 30 seconds, and then you could jump to your first detention? I guess my initial take would be that you got to give him a year with both guys to see what he can get out of both guys. But because he's had experience on the personnel side, I would also trust him if I'm the Sixers to be like, we've got to roll with Ben, or we got to roll with Joel, and just to make that decision because the common consensus is that you can't keep both of them. They don't click together. Um, but shout out to the Sixers for making a good hire. I would say that. Um, my first attention goes to a coach as well, but goes to Gary Anderson at Utah State. It's worth pointing out that college players do not have the same options that pro players have as far as being able to opt out of the season with COVID. Gary Anderson is the head coach of Utah State. He has vehemently denied his players the ability to leave or to opt out of the rest of the season or whatever amidst coronavirus concerns. And the somewhat ironic thing about him is he has a noted history of quitting midseason and backing out midseason of some of his assistant jobs along the way. Like he dropped out at Utah early in the was this early 2000s. Um, he was at Utah State 
shortly after that, because again, it's not that far, he dropped out. Of, he quit one job to go join the other. He would eventually quit that job and go sign with Wisconsin. Again, another midseason move for him. And so he is clearly understands the idea of leaving a job midseason and how it can benefit him. And he's not letting his guys do that for their own health. And so that earns a big old fat attention in my book. He'll be at Utah State the rest of his life with that kind of mentality. I don't think that any major program will want to touch him. He wasn't great at Wisconsin anyway. Um, I'm going to detention Kyrie Irving. And every week I get detention Kyrie Irving because someone will ask him a question, then he'll answer it. And the reality is I don't ever truly love his answers. Now this week, you guys need to get on belly up. You need to check out my man Parker Ainsworth's article where he talks about the possible coaches for the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> based on Kyrie's comment that, you know, the Brooklyn Nets don't really even need a head coach, uh, which is nuts and ridiculous in and of itself. But that's not why I'm detentioning him. I'm detentioning him because Kyrie said that for the first time in his career, now that he's playing with Kevin Durant, he's playing with someone who has the same kind of clutch gene that he has, which is nuts to me because you played with LeBron James. And obviously, if we look at any metric, LeBron James is more clutch than both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. There's no metric you can look at with Durant or Irving beat James in terms of clutch. And Durant got denied a championship by LeBron early in his career when he was leading a team. Kyrie would never have a championship if he wasn't on a team that LeBron was leading. <laughs> we have seen what Kyrie does as a leader of a team. And we see what Durant had to do to get rings because he would have none if he didn't leave Oklahoma City and go to Golden State. So don't talk to me about how clutch you guys are. You guys aren't in the same stratosphere as LeBron James all time. My last attention is going to be very much, you could call it me focused, but it's really, I think it's a broader problem. And I'm detentioning all of ESPN fantasy football apparatus because the last 48 hours have made very clear. They had no clue what they were doing or what they were going to do if coronavirus hit the NFL. When the game got, the Steelers and Titans game on Friday got postponed till week seven. All that happened is essentially those players went on bye week. And so that's plenty fine if you're ready to change your stuff up on a Friday. Totally fine. Totally normal. Then we wake up Saturday morning to the news that Cameron Newton has also tested positive in New England, right? And so with Cam Newton testing positive, that throws the Sunday Chiefs uh, Patriots game, which has a lot of very common fantasy players, including three people on my team, all kind of in flux because what's going to happen with that game? Are they just going to play without Cam Newton? Are they going to actually travel to Kansas City? What's going to happen? And their solution was check with your commissioners and if you can, you can flip the players back in after the fact if they end up playing anyway. That, that was the whole solution. It was just like, eh, commissioners can kind of work around this. And so like if you're playing in a league and they end up getting to play, your commissioner can put them back in for you on the back end. And like that... That clearly, like, there's no, there's no other alteration or no other anything that, like, the solution is we'll put it on these commissioners, which are just normal everyday people like us. I don't know, I don't know how you pick your commissioner, Shaka. In our league, it's typically just like whichever doofus decides to volunteer for it. And I say doofus because I don't personally want to volunteer for it. So thank you for your work. But I, it's whoever wants to volunteer for it just takes on this job, and then all of a sudden now they are in charge of every one of these coronavirus things, making sure they go back and backlog and put in all these people after the fact. When ESPN decided they didn't, it wasn't gonna be up to them all year. Like this is very, you could have predicted this would happen back in 
August when the NFL said they're playing forward like nothing's happening. You could have predicted that this would come up at some point. And ESPN clearly decided to just keep kicking it down the road until something happened, and now they're kicking it on to us. The commissioner of my league I was born into because it's my brother, so that's the, <laughs> that's the particular doofus. Um, my, my final detention goes to A.J. Rose. A.J. Rose is a running back for the University of Kentucky. A.J. Rose had a 100-yard rushing game yesterday and set a career high in rushing yards. And so uh, folks who are not Kentucky fans might be wondering why I would detention him. If you are a Kentucky fan, you know exactly why. A.J. Rose broke a long run yesterday versus the University of Mississippi. Call him Ole Miss. Whatever you want to call them, doesn't matter. He breaks this run. He puts deuces up at about the 20-yard line because he's running away from these guys, starts to slow down. Then he gets tackled at about the two-yard line. Two plays later, A.J. Rose fumbles the ball into the end zone, recovered by Mississippi. Mississippi gets the ball. Kentucky does not get the touchdown. And oh, by the way, Kentucky lost to Ole Miss yesterday, 42-41 in overtime. I am sick to my friggin' stomach. Friends? Go Cats! <laughs> Friends, uh, we have some great thesis statements for you this week. We're going to talk about the reseeding of the NBA playoffs and if the NBA missed an opportunity to do that in the bubble. We're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence and whether or not he should just stay in school if the New York Jets have the first pick in the draft. And then we're going to wrap the conversation about the University of Texas and the football head coaching situation. So, uh, Mr. Hainsworth, without further ado, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our first thesis statement for this podcast references the NBA and potentially a missed opportunity. So the thesis statement reads, the NBA should have taken advantage of this 2020 season to experiment with reseeding teams, not by conference, in the playoffs. What do you say to that, sir? So with this season in particular, it would have been interesting... I think more generally speaking, I don't know if I'm for it or not, but with this season, I'm going to give it like a B plus. I'm not not sold, but I could be. I'm going to give it a B plus. Mr. Ainsworth and I literally took about half an hour to try to figure out what the actual seating would be. And as we figure out what the actual seating would be, my grade consistently changes. I think that I'm going to lean on the side of consistency, which is I've been saying try everything in 2020. I'm going to go ahead and give this thesis statement an A. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, both you and I were pretty high on the idea of the NBA using this 2020 bubble playoffs to experiment with the idea of reseeding and getting away from the conference seeding structure within the playoffs. Talk to me about why you're so high on the idea and talk to me about what maybe made you a little bit hesitant. So in this particular year, part of the reason I'm high on it is because there's already no normalcy in these playoffs. You might as well use it to try things. You're trying things like a coach's challenge. You're playing every other day. You're all in a bubble. There's, there's lots of stuff being messed around with, so why not? I think it's interesting to look at how many things somewhat do remain the same. And frankly, there's a few matchups that you could argue don't don't change, right? So like, if you go from 1 through 8 in each conference to 1 through 16 in each conference, you still get like Houston, Oklahoma City in the first round, Boston, Philly in the first round, Clippers, Dallas in the first round, right? You also get some matchups that aren't necessarily more competitive. Like, I'm a big Rockets homer, but I don't know that Milwaukee and Houston in the second round is necessarily more competitive than the Lakers and Houston in the second round was. 
I guess you could argue that like, you know, Milwaukee doesn't have LeBron and AD, and that that caused a lot of problems for the small ball thing in Houston. But I would imagine the size of a guy like Giannis also causes problems. And the the deal there is too is if you factor in like Giannis rolls his ankle, which is somewhat of a usage injury, right? If you're being playing these games every other day and stuff like that. Um, that very well could have happened in that round as well, and, and it, it w- might not have mattered. I don't mean to say that Milwaukee only lost to Miami because of Giannis rolling his ankle, but it certainly doesn't help. I'm looking at this bracket, and we broke this down, like you said, for a, a while, trying to figure out exactly how it would line up. Frankly, the interesting thing to me is that it leaves the only home team in the Orlando bubble out. The Magic get left out, right? Your 16 seed becomes a play-in between Memphis and Phoenix. Yeah, which is interesting because... Orlando obviously benefits from that conference structure and the team that if you go back a few weeks on the podcast that we actually wanted to benefit from the bubble structure, which was Phoenix, might get an opportunity at the playoff if we went with the reseeding. And incidentally, the 16 seed would have been Memphis versus Phoenix and I would have advanced Phoenix based on the way that they were playing. Now their reward would have been Milwaukee, which I don't know if that's a reward for anyone. Uh, That being said, that would have been interesting. I will tell you, I, re- I heard this conversation this week from Jay Williams on his morning show on ESPN. And the point that he mentioned that I think was an interesting one worth considering, beside Orlando, no one else has home court. Everyone's just playing in the same city anyway. So why not take advantage of this particular year to go ahead and reseed? We're all playing in the same building anyway. And maybe you do get some more advantageous matchups. As we progress through this thing, I do think that Milwaukee, the Clippers, they would have been more inclined to go a little bit further had the playoffs been seeded 1 through 16. But because they were stuck with the conference structure, they ended up getting some tough matchups because they, they ended up, Milwaukee ended up getting the hot Miami Heat team. The Clippers ended up getting the Nuggets team that showed that Jamal Murray is now stepping to that next level. So it almost feels like the teams that the NBA would have wanted to see advance further would have definitely benefited from the 1-16. I am curious, Mr. Ainsworth, about the matchups that you have and maybe some that you thought might be intriguing if we went to 1-16. Well, so we'd get the Lakers in Miami an earlier round, and I think that's going to end up being valuable because... uh, So I guess... You have Denver would have been the 6 out of 16 seed, and Miami would have been the 11 out of 16 seed. I advanced Miami in my bracket. Um, and then the Lakers were the 3 out of 16 seed. They're playing Brooklyn, which as decimated as they were, it would have been a lot more fun if like Durant and Kyrie had been there, obviously. But right now, the Lakers versus Brooklyn, as is, would have been a Lakers advance for me as well. So I had LA playing Miami in the second round of this 16 seed bracket. Anyway, what I'm getting at there is a long way to get to that Miami would have been healthier. These injuries like Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo that may not be enough to, like the Lakers probably still win the series, but we certainly saw how different a team they are when they're hobbled and not playing, um, both for the second half of the first game and the entirety of the second game. Um, So we might've gotten to see some more healthy matchup there. I I also think that, like you said about Milwaukee and the Clippers kind of getting screwed. Truth is, is that they played teams that were bad matchups. Milwaukee lost to Miami in every game they played in the 2019-20 season, the three regular season and four and five postseason except for three. They were five and three against Miami on the whole this year. That's just a flat bad matchup. The seeding doesn't matter. Throw the seeding out the window at that point. That Bam, he- healthy Bam and Abayo, 
healthy Guan Dragic, healthy Tyler Hero, healthy Jimmy Butler, those guys are a bad matchup for Milwaukee, for what Milwaukee's trying to do. And so that they get to kind of avoid them in this 1 through 16 is big. The other thing is that the Clippers, as opposed to matching up with a Jokic and a Murray and, you know, the 3-1 comeback we heard all so much about and blah, 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 right? As opposed to having to go against those young guys, they're playing a different set of young guys as my bracket plays out because I still have Boston-Philly at the 5-12 matchup in the first round, and they play the the winner of the 4-13 matchup, which is still the Clippers and Dallas. So I feel fairly comfortable saying the second-round matchup of that would be the Clippers and Boston because they won their actual first-round matchups. It's a very different young team, and I don't know if different is necessarily better for the Clippers or not. I would like the Clippers in that particular matchup versus Boston. Uh, again, I feel like the Clippers are a bad matchup for everyone, and they just caught a Nuggets team that they, they caught fire. They were electric during these playoffs. So I probably would advance the Clippers there. You mentioned a couple of different things I think are interesting as well. Milwaukee, what would have happened with Giannis? Maybe Giannis is still injured based on usage, and now all of a sudden I advance Houston over Oklahoma City. Milwaukee versus Houston would definitely be interesting. And if Giannis isn't healthy, maybe I like Houston. I did end up advancing Milwaukee. Uh, the other piece that you mentioned was Miami and Denver. And if Denver is playing at the level that they played during these playoffs. Does Denver maybe have a chance? I don't know. Um, I did advance Miami as well, but I think that that series could have been interesting. What I do think would have been interesting for the NBA is that as you progress through this thing, what you're going to get are some of the matchups that I believe the NBA was hoping for. Because now you have the Lakers and the Clippers on the opposite sides of the bracket. They could potentially meet in an NBA final, right? You also have Milwaukee opposite the... Lakers and obviously they were opposite the Lakers anyway based on the conference structure So if you get Milwaukee and the Clippers in a conference final and you get the Lakers on the other side I think the NBA would have been excited about that interestingly enough Portland would be playing Toronto in the first round. I'm advancing Portland Me personally, I don't know how Jay Johnson feels about that But I'm advancing <laughs> Portland and because I'm advancing Portland. I would actually have Portland winning the second round matchup as well Indiana was decimated by injury they would have played utah in the first round so i'll advance utah there but i think that portland would beat utah and then you got a final four that would have been milwaukee the clippers the lakers and portland which interestingly enough has three of the final four teams being from the west yeah i mean i, I for what it's worth had one two three four scratch what is interesting though is if you reseeded each round i think you actually have a very real possibility at the exact same nba finals so work with me for a second, because if you reseed each round, that means that like the NFL playoff structure is, that means after the first round is over, the highest seed plays the lowest seed, correct? Yeah, so you would have, in my scenario, you would have Portland going against Milwaukee then in the second round. Right. I guess I don't have Portland beating Toronto, uh, so shout out to Jay Johnson. What I do have is... I do have Miami as the lowest seed in the second round at the 11 seed. Because again, we both, I think, just picked them over Denver. That puts, if you reseed it, Miami again playing Milwaukee. We just saw how that played out in this actual second round, right? And so then that puts Miami into your semifinal against, if you play this out, and so then two versus seven in Utah, you get three versus four. Eight, no, sorry, it'd be two versus eight, three versus seven. So Lakers still get to play Utah. Um, so that stays in the Western Conference, I guess. And then, so then you, 
Anyway, this whole thing shakes out. We're going to have some more repeat matchups, right? If you start looking at these matchups, I think that if we advance Utah and Miami and have Miami play Milwaukee in the second round, that would have Utah actually playing Toronto in your particular bracket because Utah's a 10 and they would be going up against the two there you would get some matchups that would repeat for sure um i do think that the idea of reseeding after each round would have been interesting uh, incidentally if we would have done that i don't know that my bracket shakes out the same way but can i tell you one thing and this is what i think is probably most important regardless of the seeding i still pick the lakers like regardless of the traditional which we have now so we're seeing what the lakers are able to do or if we would have went to the 116. I still think the Lakers come out of this thing. I just think that LeBron, again, is a force of nature. And if you do not have a super team that is specifically constructed to defeat him, then you're not going to be able to beat him. And as I, I actually would have the Clippers playing the Lakers in the finals, which I think the NBA would love. I still think the Clippers can't beat the Lakers. Uh, I, I like Kawhi to give LeBron a run for his money, and I think it's probably a seven-game series. I think it's going to be more competitive than what we're seeing with Miami. Now, Miami has some injury pieces as well. But I would still hit the Lakers in this thing regardless of the reseeding. But I think the Lakers have shown that they're going to win this whole NBA Finals unless Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic can come back and steal a game or two. They're going to win this whole NBA Finals at 16-3 and and only have to play 19 games to do it. So I, I think that, that they're the overwhelming favorite at any bracket is just clear to show how this dominance is working. The truth is they've got two of the five best players in the league right now. Um, and, and so the truth, all of this is fun in games, and it's fun to see these teams like Denver or, to a, some extent, Boston, certainly Miami, these teams that have a lot of depth but maybe don't have the star power make runs in the playoffs. But if you have two of the best five players in the league, you're going to win the whole thing anytime. That's just how the, that's just how the league goes. It was Shaq and Kobe. It was Dave Robinson, Tim Duncan. It was... LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. I mean, if you have the two of the five best players in the league, you're going to win. That's just how it goes. In my little bracket, <laughs> I don't think the Lakers even lose a playoff game until like the conference finals, maybe. So essentially, they would end up play, sweeping Brooklyn. If they play Miami in the second round, I, I maybe a healthier Miami in the second round would obviously be a little bit different matchup. But this NBA Finals is feeling like a sweep. Jeez, man. The Lakers are stupid good. They're just stupid good. And bubble or not, I don't want to hear any questions about LeBron winning this ring. He's in his 10th NBA Finals. I feel like the Lakers are going to get the ring. I feel like he has a very good shot of winning the Finals MVP. Like, it doesn't matter what the NBA would have done this year. It feels like LeBron is friggin' Thanos. He is inevitable. <laughs> well, and I'd also point out that people want to asterisk this because... Whatever the reasoning is. They said it before the playoffs started because it's so weird. There are certainly teams that want to say this now because you're seeing injuries pop up and because you're seeing teams that they didn't think would make it pop up or whatever. Here's what I'll say. The only asterisk I see, and I'm an anti-asterisk guy. You've known that from the start. But the only asterisk I could see you putting on this is that it was harder to do because you're playing a playoff game every two days. That means if you're doing that every 48 hours, you are destroying your body going through this. And I don't mean to say that, like, we need to, like, this is their job. They're playing basketball, and it, it, that is part of it. But it also means that it's that much harder to do. So, yes, the Lakers are sweeping through and doing gentleman sweeps along the way and this, that, and the other. But it also makes it that much more impressive that they are beating you five times in 10 days. Yeah.
Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings, and taking it a little close to home for yourself, the following thesis is about the NFL and the NFL draft and college football and a little bit of everything related to football. Um, the thesis reads... Trevor Lawrence should go back to Clemson for his senior year if the New York Jets get the number one pick in the NFL draft. What do you say to that, Jets fan? Uh, This thesis statement comes directly from Mike Greenberg, fellow Jet fan on ESPN, and he would give it an A because he came up with this idea. He said that there's no way Lawrence should go play for the Jets. And as a Jet fan, I 100% agree with him. This is an A thesis statement. Mr. Ainsworth, what do you say? I give it a B plus because I have one other idea of what he could do, but right now I'm going to B plus. Okay, Mr. Cummings, you were pretty quick to give this a pretty high grade. So, talk to me. Why'd you give it such a high grade so easily? So many reasons. Let's just start with the Jets draft history. Let's understand Trevor Lawrence is the likely first pick in the draft now maybe there's a team that struggles that has a quarterback and so maybe they would take Panay Sewell out of Oregon but the likelihood is that they would actually trade the pick because someone wants Trevor Lawrence so we're starting from this premise that Trevor Lawrence is going to go one now we're going to extrapolate even further to say the Jets suck and they're going to continue to suck and so therefore they'll get the number one pick I am a fan of both the Jets and the Giants. I've explained that on this podcast. You can go back and check the catalog as to the reasoning behind that. But know that when Eli Manning basically said, I'm not going to play for the Chargers, I didn't have a problem with him doing that. And he ended up going and playing for the Giants, which obviously worked out well for me. When John Elway said, I'm not playing for the Colts, I didn't have a problem with that. He ended up with the Broncos. I'm fine with that. If you can dictate in a moment of power where you can go, I'm cool with that. And if Trevor Lawrence says the Jets look so awful, I don't want to play with them, I'm cool with that. And let me just say, the data based on how the Jets develop their draft picks would give Trevor Lawrence all the ammunition that he needs. So I'm just going to read through the New York Jets first round draft picks going back several years. Makai Becton was the first round draft pick in 2020. We'll, we'll wait on him. Quinnen Williams was a draft pick in 2019. We'll wait on him. Sam Darno is a draft pick in 2018. 
That means that the Jets already drafted a quarterback in the last three years, and they haven't been able to develop him. Why then would Trevor Lawrence feel like they could develop him differently than Darno? I don't know. But let's keep going back. Jamal Adams, great player. They traded him. Darren Lee, bust. They took Christian Hackenberg in the second round in 2016, the same year they took Darren Lee. Hackenberg, they couldn't develop either. He's out of the league. Leonard Williams, the Jets traded him. Calvin Pryor, who they drafted number one in 2014, is not in the league anymore. He was a good safety with them, by the way. No longer in the NFL. D. Milner, cornerback, they drafted in 2013. No longer in the NFL. Quentin Copel's uh, pass rusher out of North Carolina. They couldn't develop him. He's no longer in the NFL. Muhammad Wilkinson was actually a good player for the Jets. The Jets botched the whole contract situation with him. He's no longer in the league, and the Jets ended up trading him. Kyle Wilson was a defensive back out of Boise State who the Jets didn't develop. Mark Sanchez, now we're going back to 2009. The Jets didn't do a great job developing him. We can go back to Vernon Golston. The last time the Jets had a first-round draft pick that they successfully developed and kept on the team for a second contract, it was Darrell Revis. That's 2007. <laughs> That's who the Jets are. And by the way, if you start going there, the Jets actually don't do that bad because the draft before, they had DeBrickishaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold, two first-round picks. They took two offensive linemen that played for the Jets for a long time. So we have to go all the way back to 14, 15 years ago to find the Jets successfully drafting and developing players and keeping them. Why would you want to play for that franchise? I have no idea. Well, and the interesting thing is about 14 or 15 years ago is they not only developed into good players, they developed pretty quickly because then in 2009 and 2010, they're winning playoff games, right? And so, like, that was a decade ago at this point, but it's worth pointing out that, like, when they did it right, it turned around pretty quickly. But we both agreed that if it's the Jets that he should consider alternative options. I don't necessarily know that going back to school is the option, um, but I understand why you would not want to play for the Jets right now. The Jets are in disarray. They're looking like they may have to fire their coach and move on from their last number one draft pick quarterback. I totally understand the sentiment that Greeny or yourself have about not wanting to play for the Jets. And you kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but what I was going to point out is the historical examples of quarterbacks dictating power by saying, I will not play for them, not I will not play, and then getting a lot more say in where they go. Um, Obviously, Trevor Lawrence does not have the parents' pedigree that... uh, Eli Manning had, but I would argue he has a much stronger college career and is going to look like a much better pro prospect coming out. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, I guess. Maybe my age is showing, but I certainly remember hearing about Trevor Lawrence as a freshman as he could have been the number one overall pick coming out of college as a freshman, right? And so there's no reason for anyone to believe that he doesn't have the power by saying, I'm simply not playing for the New York Jets if he wanted to. And the deal I see there is that there are millions of reasons and each one of them being a single dollar bill to come out and play in the NFL next year, right? He should not turn down the NFL next year. In my opinion, he should come out and play and make his money because NFL money is only money for so long. And if he should have been earning it a couple years ago as a freshman, he should absolutely come earn it. Now I would just say kind of in line with you and Greeny that he should not play for the jets. He should come and do the Eli Manning thing where he says, I'm not playing for that organization. I don't trust them. Or if he wants to be more PC about it, he could say they already have their quarterback or whatever and find some way to get them to swap the pick or to trade in, or to draft and trade or whatever to just make it very, very public once he's done playing the season. I'm not playing for them. Because as it stands right now, there are several teams 
that are in jeopardy. I, I think the Texans will win some games this year, but they're at 0 and 3. The Bengals are 0 2 and 1. Uh, the Broncos are 1 and 3, right? So any of these other teams across the bottom, the Bengals feel like they got their guy in Joe Burrow. Deshaun Watson's in Houston. Minshew in Jacksonville, who knows? But the Broncos really could like be in the top of the draft and say, hey, we'll swap you the fifth pick and a sixth round pick or something for a guy that won't play for you anyway in New York, and you could do something there. And that, I think, again, is the PC way to go about it. It's just say, look, they've got their quarterback. I don't want to play there. The reality is he actually could go back to college and still be the number one pick even with injury. If you look at what happened to Tua, Tua gets a very severe hip injury and is still a top five pick. So there's nothing to say that Trevor Lawrence couldn't go back, and even with the risk of injury, you know he's going to get one of these crazy insurance deals, even if he doesn't have one already. So the, the risk is actually relatively low and again relative (laughs) relative is a relative term um so he could go back do that and still be the number one pick and maybe avoid the tragedy that is the jets now the reality to that is also that there's nothing to say the jets won't still have the number one pick even the subsequent years because the jets don't do anything right i mean we can look at the history of the new york jets head coaching hires uh bill parcells is the best coach in jets history the Jets only have two coaches that have a winning record in their history, and that doesn't include Weeb Eubank, who actually won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three that the Jets won. Weeb Eubank was the head coach. He does not have a winning record with the Jets. So the Jets only have two coaches that ever had a winning record. One of them only played one season. The Jets are awful. The Jets' GM situation is just as bad. Literally, they fired the GM last year. So now Joe Douglas is in because they fired... Uh, Mike McCagnon in the middle of the season. This is who the Jets are. Trevor Lawrence doesn't want to play for the Jets, I fully understand. He shouldn't come play for us. We're awful. We're terrible. We're a bad franchise. Now, I will say that the caveat is, and I don't even know why, because this is what I do as a Jets fan, right? I get hope. The caveat might be, when the Jets had Rich Kotite, who was the worst coach in NFL history, like he is god-awful. He won four games in two years or something like that. After they got co- got rid of Kotite, they got Parcells. Could the Jets conceivably in some way find a guy who could come in with the cachet of a Kotite and take the whole thing over? Like, that's the thing, too. They got to take the whole thing over. Like, is there a way that the Jets could, I don't even know, like, I, I was going to say get an Andy Reid or something like that, as if Andy Reid's leaving Patrick Mahomes. But you know what I'm saying? It's got to be that level of a coach who you would just bring in. He gets control over everything. You know, maybe Bill Belichick is just mad at the way Robert Kraft handled things with Brady and all this stuff. I don't know. It's not going to happen. But this is the type of hope that I have as a Jet fan. Like, could something like that happen? I, I must say, I still feel like it's more than a rookie contract away. And <laughs> I, I don't mean that to be disparaging. I think things do turn on the NFL fairly quickly for most franchises. I, the Jets just feel like they're farther away than that. And they, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't need to spend his rookie contract making the least amount of money playing behind a bad Jets offensive line and a bad Jets offense where it's going to get hit a lot. He needs to go somewhere where he feels comfortable that he can be successful. And, you know, this isn't a podcast we're going to go through a thesis that takes out the entire NFL draft as a concept. I'm not trying to grade that thesis right now. But I will say that a player of Trevor Lawrence's caliber has some autonomy because he is that good and he needs to use it he needs to use it in some way to say i am coming back if that's really what he wants to do say he wants to win a national championship maybe that's really important to him to win another one or say he says you know what you know i I came in with these guys want to leave with these guys you know what sure 
But say he says, I want to go pro and make the money I've been, dis- I've been, you know, owed since I was 19 and you guys just won't pay me because of some silly rules. I'm coming to the league, but I am not playing for them. He also deserves that. No, absolutely. And what I will say is that the New York Jets were 1-15 when Bill Parcells came in. The next year, they were 9-7. and The year after that, they were in the AFC title game. So you can turn it around very quickly with the right guy if he has the right pieces, especially at quarterback, which is why if you're Trevor Lawrence, maybe you would consider if it was the right piece. The deal there is that the Jets, one time in their history, was able to get the right piece. So traditionally, they don't get the guy who can manage personnel well enough. The Jets are the, they might be the worst run franchise in football. And that's saying something because the Cleveland Browns play in the NFL. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our final thesis statement of the pod. I got to vent on the Jets last segment. You can talk about the University of Texas this segment. The thesis statement reads, the University of Texas should throw money at Mike Leach and make him their next head coach. And I mean, I'm talking ASAP. Mr. Ainsworth, what do you say to that thesis statement? So I'm going to give it a fairly high, but not a range rate at like a B or a B plus. Um, I see a lot of rationale and we'll talk more about that in the next part, but there's a lot of stuff to fix at Texas. And so I'm not going to give it an A, I'll give it an, a B or a B plus. As you can tell by my tone, it's not exactly the most exhilarating thing to talk about these days. What do you think, Shaka? Oh, uh, this is a, this is clearly an A. Obviously, I'm a very easy grade. I think I gave everything an A. And we're actually at the end of the quarter, so I'm about to be doing report cards. So this is probably a good sign for my current students. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we're going to talk Mike Leach and Texas football and why he should be the head coach. I gave this thesis statement an A. You did not, which is interesting to me. So I am curious, because you went high, you went B, B plus. Talk to me about Texas football. Why would you be hesitant, maybe with the new coach, or is it Mike Leach in particular? I'm just curious. So I guess my hesitant is just that we've done this, you know, three times in the last decade now, where we, and this would be four, where we're just like, well, the problem is clearly the head coach. And so clearly we need to fix the head coach. And because we're Texas, we decided that that's the only thing that could ever possibly be the problem. It's not going to be school culture. It's not going to be the reality of the situation. There's nothing else. It's just the coach. And 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 I guess I sit here looking at that as like, man, that's been the the solution, quote unquote, air quotes, whatever you want to put on it, the solution for a decade now. The reality of Texas football is that as you look at it, since the integration of Texas of like college football and Texas football, Texas was the last team to win the championship with an all white team. And since the integration of football, they've won one championship and been competitive for like two more, right? And so, you know, that's just kind of who they are. They're not actually this powerhouse dynasty like that wins championships year in, year out or, or whatever. That's unfortunately not the case. They have the ability to. They are a premier state university in a great town for college kids to live in, in a state that produces some of the top high school talent in the country. They absolutely can be the premier program and they've shown that when it's rolling it can really be rolling it's just not rolling very often right that's just the the, that's just the case and so while i look at tom herman in his fourth year and this awful stat that came out yesterday is he is one and eleven when he does not have the lead going into the fourth quarter not great because he's played in a big 12 conference that has 
frankly, not been super strong the four years he's been there. He's had to play Oklahoma. There's been the occasional Baylor, but really it's been more or less him and Oklahoma at the top of the Big 12 since he got there. That you're losing all of these games where you don't have the lead going to the fourth is is scary because that you could tie to coaching, right? Um, in year four, you're starting to see a lot of the players in the field are guys he recruited. So again, that goes to him and coaching. And so I see why folks are eager to say, well, he can't be the guy. Even though I'm not so young that I don't remember four years ago, right? I wasn't born four years ago where Charlie Strong was in a very similar boat, right? We were sitting here three years into Charlie Strong and we we're saying, you know, it's year three and these are guys he recruited and this isn't turned around yet and what's going on and why isn't anything fixed and yada, 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 and we got all these four or five star guys with him and why is he losing all these games and blah, 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 blah. And it's just him in Oklahoma. And they fired him too. And then we brought in Tom Herman. He was supposed to save everything, right? He was this gifted coordinator at Ohio State. He had turned around the U of H program in Houston. He loved Texas. There was this great darling story about how after, you know, former D3 athlete, Tom Herman, played at Cal Lutheran. Um, screw the Cal Lutheran guys, but go D3 football. He had come on to Texas as a GA after playing college ball. And so there's this like darling story about how he still had his ID badge from being a GA all those years ago at Texas and how it was this perfect fit. And now four years later, I'm like, fire that dude, right? And that just seems to be this rotation of the last decade of Texas football as we assume that the 04, you know, Vince Young second to last year through 2010 when Texas is playing the championship against Alabama and Colt McCoy gets hurt. We're assuming that is what it ought to be all the time. And it's looking more and more obvious that that is the blip in Texas football, right? In the last four years of Texas football, that is the blip. And I'm not sure that changing head coaches every three or four years is going to change that. I think you need to build a program. At this point, people are talking about uh, you know, bringing Texas back. It's no longer about bringing Texas back when you're 10 years removed. It is about building a program from the ground. It, you're not going to bring something back that's more than 10 years old. Okay, I hear you on everything that you're saying, Mr. Ainsworth. And here's, here's my deal. The reason why this thesis statement is an A to me is because of the dude we're talking about bringing in as right. much as it is about Texas. So Mike Leach, guys, wins everywhere he goes. Mike Leach is the most successful coach in the history of Texas Tech. And that's important because we would be talking about an upgraded university within the state. Now, I understand that there's going to be a bunch of tech people that will be pissed that I said that. All we have to do is look at football success. Texas traditionally has had more success than Texas Tech. And Texas Tech's most successful years were under Mike Leach, at least in recent history. Mike Leach also went to Washington State, a program that traditionally isn't strong, and he also won there. And if you start looking at the most successful coaches in Washington State history, look beyond guys who were only there for one or two years. Mike Leach has the second best win percentage only Babe Hollingberry, and that's going back to the 20s through 40s, had a better record at Washington State than Mike Leach. So even guys more recently like Mike Price who had success, Mike Price had so much success at Washington State, he got the job at Alabama. Like People forget about that because he never coached at Alabama, and you can go look up that whole story. But Mike Price had that level of success at Washington State. Leach was better than him. The situations won't affect him. Like... The thing that would affect Mike Leach and his success at Texas is him just getting sick of having to do the things that Mac Brown did so easily. Like Mike Leach is not the guy that's going to want to show up at every booster function. He's not the guy that's going to be, you know, PC when it comes to 
different conversations with the media and those sorts of things. So the things that Mac Brown did incredibly well, that's where Mike Leach might struggle. And Mike Leach will win. He will get players at Texas. They will throw the ball 60 times. They will be one of the best offenses in the league. Guys will go pro. Texas will have an opportunity to beat Oklahoma every year. And if you can beat Oklahoma in the Big 12, you got a shot to be in the playoff. And once you get into the playoff, you're in the dance, right? So now we just figure it out from there. And I just think that if you gave Mike Leach the level of resources that Texas could give him, I think that Mike Leach could be one of these coaches that's competing for a championship every year. He's never had that. At Texas Tech, he didn't have it, but he won. At Washington State, he didn't have it, but he won. At Mississippi State, he's not going to get it. But he's able to beat LSU in his first game in Baton Rouge. Like, I just would love to see Mike Leach in a situation like Texas and to see what he can make that program because I just firmly believe that he could turn it into a winner. Well, and I will say, and looking at that, like, almost decade of really, really good Texas football, um, you could argue the second best team is actually the team that Mike Leach knocked out of the championship game with a crazy last minute, last second touchdown to Michael Crabtree, right? Because that team was undefeated. That Texas team was undefeated heading in. They'd beaten Oklahoma. Uh, Texas Tech was also in the top five in the country at that point. And everyone remembers the Crabtree walking into the end zone after not getting tackled by a couple of guys that would go on to the pros, including Earl Thomas, at the sideline. But the truth is that like two, one or two plays before that, an All-Big 12, or later All-Big 12 safety, who was a freshman at the time named Blank Gideon, drops perhaps the easiest interception I've ever seen dropped because it got tipped. It was up in the air like a punt, and he just it bounced off his chest trying to catch it like a punt. And truthfully, if they if he catches that interception, they win that game and go on to the championship game that year, right? And so that's one of those teams we're talking about that might have, could have, should have, would have. I guess my bigger thing is that I see about Mike Leach and why I didn't give it a failing grade is he probably is, because of his success at other stops, the appropriate coach to raise the level of football at Texas, right? Because, like you're saying, at the Tex and the Wazoos and those guys, he is raising the level of football. The issue culturally will be that while Texas may play more like the level of football of a Tech or a Wazoo, I mean, they played Texas Tech literally to overtime a week ago, right? Um, they may only be playing that level of football. The expectations of him outside of football are things that he just flatly won't do. You say can't do. I'm saying he whether or not he can, he just won't show up to them because he's kind of the weirdo that does his own thing and beats his own drummer, right? And so he may not do those things. The other thing I'm seeing, though, is that I there are going to be lots of Texas people. Texas, I mean, Texas fans are clattering Twitter making Urban Meyer to Texas trend. I mean, they, they aren't... Texas fans have this distorted reality about that 10-year period that they think that's the norm. And so we're going to act like that we deserve Urban Meyer. Just like in 2013, Texas deserved to go get Nick Saban. You're never going to get those guys. Your goal is not to get those guys. Your goal is to get a young guy that you think can be the next one. Or your goal is to get someone that's going to win in your situation because you are not in the same situation, right? This is burning a lot of bridge with Texas fans, I'm sure. And Texas fans have heard me on this podcast before say, listen, if it were not for the University of Texas, I don't exist. That's where my parents met. I grew up in Austin. I, I really, I've said that before on the podcast, but I have a, a soft spot in my heart for this university and their football team. And there's a real, very real possibility I, I could have gone there. But the, the truth is, I feel like Texas as they stand is not this year in, year out dynasty like they want to be. I don't, 
historically looking at them see that in their history. And so they're going to ask for these things that all of these other schools have because they have the money and they're in the state and they ought to, but they're not really there. That's not who we are. What I would love is for Mike Leach to get this job just so that Parker Ainsworth would have to admit that the University of Kentucky is what turned around Texas. Because let's not forget, Mike <laughs> Leach, offensive coordinator at the University of Kentucky, that's where he got his start. Uh, go Cats. That's how I'm ending this segment. Go Cats. <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Both Parker and I, a little sad after tough Saturdays. Hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully our football teams can do well. I will say this. I'm having great Friday nights. My football team's 4-0. So we are doing well there. At least I had some semblance of football success. Uh, Parker, how about you? Tell everyone your socials. That way they can talk to you about all the football success that they're having, considering that we're not having any. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me and bash me and my Texas takes on Twitter at Painsworth 512 that's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H, 512, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. I also res- respond to the show's Twitter handle. That's F-N Sports, number two, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word, on Twitter. I'll use dash P-A. Shaka will use dash C-C, so you can find us both there. Shaka, we got Instagram, too. Absolutely. Check us out on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram, at Shaka Cummings, at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Friends, we're going to wrap this episode so that way Parker can get his Peloton fix and I can move into my new house. So thank you guys for listening. (laughs) Please remember to like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't funk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.